With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Being a parent can be really challenging. Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them on their parenting journey. Everyone deserves someone they can turn to for help with parenting. Visit childandfamilyresourcenetwork.org today. Being a parent can be really challenging. It's normal to feel uncertain about whether you're doing the right things to raise healthy and happy children. That's why Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them build confidence in their parenting journey. Everyone deserves to have someone they can turn to for support with parenting. Visit childandfamilyresourcenetwork.org today. Special Operations, Covert Ops, Espionage, The Team House, with your hosts, Jack Murphy and David Park. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 122 of The Team House. I'm Jack Murphy, here with Dave Park. Today, we are very happy to have as a guest on the show, Caroline Walsh. She is the author of an upcoming book, uh, a memoir called Fairly Smooth Operator, My Life Occasionally at the Tip of the Spear. It comes out next week. Uh, you can go and pre-order it on Amazon right now. Uh, it's about her time uh, in the Coast Guard and then joining the CIA and working as an analyst there um, and all of her life experiences and, and misadventures in between. So we're going to talk... Uh, about all of that with her tonight but first a quick word from one of our sponsors i want to tell you guys about uh atax fitness it is a veteran-owned company started in 2017 your one-stop shop for gear so it, they sell packages for people who want to train up for water-based special operations selection programs uh that exist for like navy seals going through buds Marine Recon has their own selection, Air Force Pararescue. So they put together these packages of uh, equipment to help you train up for it. If you want to show some yeah, of that we got stuff some, off, Dave. Yeah, we got some good equipment here. Um, so first, uh, in these packages, and you can order this stuff separately, but in these packages, they have uh, things like these really really solid rocket fins, very firm, vented. Um, obviously, the, the slip-ons or the, uh, you know, the, half, the half ones, uh, which you need booties to go with. Um, but they're great for finning. Like if you're if you're going to train for this kind of stuff, or even if you're just going to fin to stay in shape, don't get soft fins and don't get the step ins. You know, get it get a quality fin like this. Uh, they have a couple different types of masks. They have the twin mask for those of you who are actually training for a selection and need to learn how to purge your mask. They also have the full face, um, you know, high volume mask to help with the purging. Uh, the kits come with these handy little ropes because anybody who's been to an underwater selection knows you need to be able to tie these bad little bolins underwater underwater um so uh and then uh and then a nice little snorkel so that you know you can practice all your snorkel stuff and then when you're done you can go do snorkel shots with your buddies so, um that's really solid gear that they sell and they're in alignment with a number of different training programs out there 
um, that prepare people for these selection yep. courses. And their, so, their mission is to give young people the tools they need to be successful in selection, pointing guys in the right direction, and also putting guys in touch with former and current active duty veterans to answer questions and assist them in getting selected. And there is also a promo code TEAM10. You can go and use on the website right now, atacfitness.com, to get 10% off. And they're also having a Black Friday sale right now. We're all in our, our post-Thanksgiving uh, glut right now, trying to recover. Um, but since it is Black Friday, um, go and check them out because they're having some pretty steep discounts today, I believe. Yeah. And, I mean, even if you're not training up for selection, I mean, fitting is is one of the best you know, areas of fitness that you can do, especially as you get older. The arthritis starts setting in. Good company, uh, veteran-owned, good products. We highly recommend them. So, Caroline, uh, with that said, uh, how, how are you doing? How was Thanksgiving? Back at home. And I, I don't know what your underwater knot tying skills are like, but you have the surfboards right behind you. You're in, right on the cover of your book. I mean, you're a big time surfer, aren't you? Oh yeah, I love the water, the ocean. I did my own underwater training. The training, the Coast Guard didn't really give me any, so like I was always in the pool, like holding my breath as long as I could, just swimming as far as I could. So yeah, it's awesome. So, uh, you know, the first question we pretty much always ask our guests is about their origin story. Uh, how, what was your upbringing like? Where did you grow up, and what was sort of that path that led you to ultimately, you know, uh, your first bit of governmental service with the Coast Guard? Um, yeah, so oddly enough, I grew up in Ohio, uh, pretty far away from the ocean. I was born in Riverside, California, and then we moved to Ohio when I was really young. So I basically grew up outside of Cleveland. Um, I feel like a lot of my origin story is tied to surfing eventually. So we used to vacation to the Outer Banks and I just caught the bug and like decided I had to surf during college. I applied to like two schools and one of them was Cal State Monterey Bay. And that's how I kind of got to the coast from Ohio. Um, I don't know, I think too, so I mean, I graduated college in 2009, right as the financial crisis happened. And I think I was the first generation just not quite set up for success after, <laughs> you know, having an undergrad degree. Like we we're the first ones to be like, oh, wait a minute. Like, how am I going to make money? Like there are no jobs. Um, in all actuality, so you're fucked. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, luckily I didn't have student debt. Like I was like very um, privileged with that, but still like it was it was daunting so um for me um my friends met a coast guard recruiter when they were surfing and we were all kind of figuring out what we were going to do and they were like hey like you studied psychology you could do intel if you just enlist you can join right away because we were like oh we should go officer and then we looked at the timeline of officer we're like oh we might not even get this for a year like we need to like get in now so um <laughs> we got talked into it i mean the recruiter also this is it's kind of true he's like well if you join like you have an all-access pass to all of the bases on all the breaks around the country oh shit! it shut off sorry she's back no worries so sorry, go, go ahead continue please yeah so that's kind of how I got started. I, I did like Intel. I did like psychology. I had no idea how else to get like my foot in the door on doing even like some sort of like investigative cert, like 
um, service job, like you, you graduate college and you just realize, oh, like I have no skills. Like I did not do any internships. Like I need to do something. Um, so the Coast Guard was appealing. Also, I mean, I grew up outside of Ohio, but like we were a pretty liberal family. Like my dad and my mom were um, basically Vietnam War protesters. And um, so we did not have a great view of the Iraq war. So looking at other services at that time too, was not appealing to me that did not like sit well with like, you know, kind of my values, but I mean, the coast guard still fit into it. So that's kind of how I, how I chose that. That's interesting. Uh, so what, aside from the timeline, I, what, what was there something about like the coast about the intelligence world? Had you thought about that before or, um the intelligence i i never did like i feel like some people like i had a manager at the cia and he was just like oh i never did drugs i never did anything bad because i knew i wanted to be a cia analyst and i was like dude like you didn't have to do that like <laughs> i just kind of like lived my life as a normal like 18 19 20 year old um and it kind of grew on me through like my CIA adventures and working in the Intel field. Um, but I never, I never thought I was never stuck on like, Oh, I need to be in the military or, Oh, I need to do intelligence. I just, I think I like psychology and I like analyzing people and like that side of it was kind of what turned me on to that field. So what did you think having an impression of the military? What did you think of the coast guard when you first went to basic training and you know, you started that whole process? Yeah, I mean, from the outside, I just had no, we like, me and my friends were looking at the website, we're like, oh, like, look, you can join the Coast Guard and you can play soccer, because we all played soccer in college. <laughs> and then we we're like, oh, shoot, we're looking at the Academy website. Like, we weren't even looking at the right website. So like, we joined and we started boot camp. We had like ponytails, like, we got off the bus and got like screamed at like we didn't watch war movies as kids like we we're this was all new to us like we had no prep you didn't watch full um, metal jacket before going to boot camp like most kids do no. yeah. <laughs> right like we had like we were athletic we did like all our push-ups like after class and at the gym like we were stoked on the physical fitness side of it and like we thought we'd be like, you know, going in the ocean and doing training um we i think we were in the ocean once during boot camp like it was a lot of just them leaving you in a room to like see if you talked and then they'd come scream at you. Um, so like, uh, I guess we learned the game quickly, of yeah. course, you know, we knew how to like have good hygiene and everything. So we were not the ones that like the CCs were picking on whatsoever. So, um, it was, it was fine. But I think our first introduction to like the Coast Guard just is, I guess a lot of military services, they're not as organized as you think they are. Um, so my two friends I joined with were twins. They're identical twins. And they both had names that started with A. And the first thing that happened was they only had one billet for both of them at the end of boot camp because they thought they were one person. So, oh, like, <laughs> that was like our introduction to, I guess, kind of like government incompetence was like, oh, my gosh, what are we doing? So, right, right. And did going into intelligence, the Coast Guard, did it seem like a fun thing to you or did it just seem like a... It's something to do. It seemed fun. Like it seemed interesting. I didn't know a lot about 
intel. Like, I didn't know if I'd be talking to people and interviewing people. I didn't know if I'd be, like, tracking drug boats. Um, but it, it just seems interesting, and I could, I could tell myself the story that this was a good fit. I also really wanted to do, like, more education. I wanted my master's degree. I'm doing my PhD now. So it was also important for me to, like, get some of those benefits while I was in. I actually finished my master's degree as, like, an E5 um, using tuition assistance. So, um, it was also just like, okay, how can I serve? And like, you know, doing rescues was super interesting to me. And like, how can I do this job and kind of set myself up for success down mm -hmm. the road? Could you tell us about the, your uh, first assignment out in Long Island and, you know, kind of how that went down? There's, there's some pretty interesting stories to say the least out there and in your initial, uh, foray into the Coast Guard and coasty life. Yeah, Long Island, like, at first, like, because I was coming from California, and I was like, oh, like, Long Island, like, is that Staten Island? And, like, thank God it was not. But, like, <laughs> <laughs> um, I was stationed in Montauk, like, just outside of the Hamptons. Um, so we did, in the summers, we basically, like, played softball and um, rescued people from, like, themselves on their yachts, like, you know, running out of gas or, like, getting them toes, Um so even from that in the summers to just like really intense kind of like perfect storm, heavy weather operations in the winter. Um, but it was also like a very isolated unit. There were only maybe 20, 25 of us. There were no officers. Um, it just had this history of just like toxicity because it was so isolated from the rest of the Coast Guard. So um, it was shocking for me just to see like there is like drug use among Coasties. There was like cheating and like secrets and um harassment and just manipulation and i think i was just in shock for most of it i avoided it a lot and like i ran a lot i like surfed a lot i didn't know what else to do besides like just wait to get out of it and um, for, for people who don't know montauk is the like northern tip of long island like it is way out there uh, nowhere near civilization i guess you could say yeah, it's where they quarantine people during the Spanish flu. So it's like, it's pretty far out and isolated out there. Um, so yeah, I experienced like, I had a lot of trouble with like sexual harassment. And, you know, I would think people were trying to help me out with my career. And then they would hit on me or do something inappropriate or like, um, yeah, it was just like coming from, I guess, like a more normal world. I don't know, like, that. there's nothing that could have prepared me for that, I think. And even going back, like, you know, you're worried about retaliation. You're worried about if you speak up, like, you know, what does that mean for the unit of, of a small unit? You're basically would disrupt everything. And yeah, it was just a really tough place. I was only like 22, 23 years old. So I, I didn't know how to handle it. Yeah. Um, so from, from what you describe, from what you describe in the book, it does sound like just a, a super not cool place to work at all. Uh, that particular unit. Yeah, it was, it was it was really not cool. My days off were great. I love Montauk. I love the Hamptons. Like it's a really cool artsy place. You can jet into the city on the train. So it was like a super cool place to be. It was just like this, like, like I loved Montauk and the area so much, but I hated like going on base was like dreadful every morning. It was like so hard to just get myself to like go into that job and like deal with people and like, at first you try to like have some smart comeback and then you just give up and you're just like, whatever, like, yeah, just like get me out of here.
Yeah. You did have a couple interesting war stories, though, from uh, your time up there. Uh, some, some of them pretty funny, if, if you could lay some of those on us. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I think. OK, so my. I oh, my gosh, I will not make postcards. So we we did have like it was a very isolated unit. We didn't get a lot of calls. But when we did get calls like in the hurricane months, like they're pretty serious because um, the fishing culture is like if fishermen get stuck or something in heavy weather like they'll call each other like they will not call the coast guard because we bring our law enforcement stuff like we're gonna they don't have life jackets they have cocaine on board like that sucks for them they don't want to call us so if they actually call us where it's like they are in deep shit so we got one of those calls and like um we only had i think four people that was like our minimum crew and you know everyone it's like i think any of the military services like people get bored and as soon as they get a call if they're you know there's like a war about like you want to get in there so like mm -hmm. everyone wanted to get out there so we had the minimum crew we're like we're gonna do it and like the sea we started going on our 47 which like self writes um i mean you won't be able to like drive it well afterwards but it, it does like self write in the storm i forget flipped over so we're on like our heavy duty boat and we're the waves are getting bigger and we get out there and like I just start getting really hot and we're in these like Mustang suits. It's like a snowsuit and like we're going up and down and then we have to like circle this boat to find its cleats cause we're going to tow it. And like, we're so we're like stopping and like, just, and I'm like, Oh my God. I'm like, Oh shit. I'm going to throw up. And like, <laughs> I had never puked on the boat before. And I'm like, Oh, I just like vomited out like everything in my stomach. I was like, guys, like I, and they're like, just, just rest. Like you're fine. We'll get it. And then, like, our um, our guy down below deck, he's, like, Mr. I don't know if you've seen, like, Ashton Kutcher in that movie. Um, oh, the one it? It's, like, our Oscar. one Coast Guard. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. So this guy's, like, Mr. Perfect, like, Ashton Kutcher, like, great body, super good guy. He's down there. He's ready to throw the tow line over, like, save the day. And, like, he sees my puke. I puked on the tow line. And he sees my puke. And, like, he's just, like, oh, shit. He starts <laughs> vomiting off the side of the boat. Like, cause he's got, he's like Mr. Perfect. His one flaw is like kryptonite is like, he has a super weak stomach. So like <laughs> now we're down to just like two guys, like one driving the boat and like one who's just this guy who's just like been at the unit for like 10 years. Like, um, so they save our asses and like that, I'm just like, oh man, like this is typical Coast Guard. Like, I hope these guys on the other boat don't see us just like vomiting over the side. <laughs> You, you write in the book too that it's like one of these situations where it's a it's a, there's a storm the the vessel you're going out to rescue is broken down out in the middle of nowhere but now you're you're also like really exceeding the fuel range of the boat that you're the ship that you have that really oh, yeah. really, really you needed a more substantial rescue effort than your small endeavor out there in Montauk had to offer Oh, totally. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was like the leadership decision making part of it where it's like, oh, well, like we're out 30 miles and it just drifted like 10 extra miles. So like, let's just go. But it's like, oh, well, like actually, if you go that 10 extra miles now, we're like really pretty far off from where we're supposed to like our like final um, nautical limit is. So, yeah, it was just just one of those things. It was just like, I don't know. You want to do it. You're already out there. It's like, all right, I guess we'll do this. Like <laughs> just a bunch of like. 20 to 30 year old making decisions. I mean, I guess like most of the military, like um, making these calls. And luckily it, it turned out fine. We were all fine. Well, except for me puking everywhere. Um, 
but yeah, it was just like, oh man, like I am, I am living the Coast Guard life, not making us look so great. <laughs> so, so that's interesting uh, in terms of job because you, you were there. Your your job in the Coast Guard was, is, was it intelligence analyst or intelligence collector? Yeah. So that's the interesting thing about the Coast Guard is like you join and like, unless you get guaranteed a school, unless your recruiter hooks you up and they need you to like go to a school right after boot camp, you join and you're at a unit doing the grunt work, whatever they need you to do. It's supposed to be six months. Uh -huh. Um, I think because of like budget cuts and then somebody screwed up my paperwork. So I was doing the grunt work for three years without a rate. So I didn't actually go to Intel school for three years wow. into my service. Yeah. How, how do you get promoted without a rate? You don't. So I was lucky. I had a degree. So I started as like an E3. I like, yeah, I didn't make E4 until I went to, the schooling three years later so that's crazy yeah you kind of just get screwed i mean i could have changed rates i could have gone and been a mechanic or like a boat driver like a boatswain's mate but like that like i was not interested in that and i was not skilled in that like i'm very much like more analytic and academic and like i can do physical stuff but like not for my job i would not want to do that so yeah, some people, I mean, it was like a really weird time in the Coast Guard. Some people like hit their four-year limit and like had never gone to A school, like their training that, school. That, so. That's insane to me. I didn't even know that could happen in the military, that you could ha not have a job. Yeah, it's like, I don't know if it's kind of like their holding pattern. Like it's such a small service that like maybe the schools can't handle like everybody going to A school right after boot camp, but they do need bodies. Like I was... I mean, I was trained up on everything but driving the boat because they needed people to do everything. Like, you're really such a generalist. Even as an officer, I eventually went to OCS. And, like, even as an officer, you might have a specialty. But, like, you're you're learning everything because there's not that many people. And if something comes up and then suddenly you're doing an oil spill response, like, you, but now you're leading people doing something, like, you've never actually done before. So, mm -hmm. um yeah, it's definitely very different from like the Navy where like if you're Intel, like you go to Intel school and like mm -hmm. that's your job. Mm -hmm. So, but just to wrap it up, you did rescue the fishermen that day. Oh yeah. We, we rescued them. Oh my gosh. The tow back was like the slowest thing I've ever experienced. I had, we, I was like sleeping, standing up. We were like stuck together with like, just like stomach acid all over us. <laughs> like, um, yeah, the sun came up and another boat came and met us and like, picked up the toe uh, to bring it in because we were just such a wreck. Um, a lot of Red Bulls. <laughs> a thousand yard stare. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So three years you spent at that post until you could get, uh, get yourself off to your actual schooling. Um, mm -hmm. And then there was also a point in time where uh, the the oil spill happened down in the gulf of mexico and you got to you kind of got to get away from montauk for a little while and go deal with that yeah i was like this is terrible like when there's the oil spill in there like we're gonna call active duty people it's for i was like oh my god please call me get me out of this unit um so yeah the deepwater horizon oil spill, it was pretty serious and um yeah i think they they didn't even close the leak till like a month before i went down there um so yeah, they surged people down there and that was like my six months away. I finally worked with like 
a warrant officer who was just awesome, like good leadership skills. I worked with people that were just like respectful and I kind of finally was like, oh, okay, like this is what the Coast Guard is like in other places. Mm -hmm. Like I am at a very tough unit right now. This is not normal. Um, so that was just, yeah, like a huge relief. I had no idea I would ever be so excited about going to Alabama in my life, but it was, it was wonderful. Everyone down there was great. So, um, what, what did your job down there entail at that point? My job, we're documentation. So every site, there are all these sites cleaning up the oil spill and they all had different documents. And, um, I mean, of course, like BP was getting sued. So we, collected all documents from the site, just make sure no one was throwing stuff away. And then we sorted them. So we were just like reading everything from like political gossip to like actual contracts and like looking at money. And like, there were like fraud reports, like people, like just every document, like people trying to get money from BP because they would say like, oh, like um, I lost my fishing business in the oil spill. And then there'd be notes on the side that are like, this man doesn't even have a fishing vessel. Like, um, so you're just like, sorting documents, reading all the stuff that's going on with the oil spill, and then they're sending it to the archives in, like, Louisiana for the lawyers to get if they ever needed it. So it was, like, I made it interesting. Um, it was just, yeah, it was it was a job. It had, like, a clear mission. Like, um, you know, you felt like you were doing good work, so. And you got to escape Montauk for a few months. I got to escape, and I got to escape in the winter to somewhere warm. So, yeah, <laughs> I'm such a wuss, but like, <laughs> yeah, it was good. <laughs> so when you when you were finally able to uh, get to the Intel course that you were signed up for, I mean, did you start finding so, uh, a side of the Coast Guard that you liked a little bit more? It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. I did, yeah. The Intel side was like very professional. Um, a lot of us dealt with a similar issue where we were waiting for school forever. So we were just excited to be there, like no regrets, like probably a little bit more gruntle, disgruntled than your average class of, you know, uh, like your schools, just because we'd seen a lot. Um, so yeah, I finally like felt professional and felt like I was doing what I wanted to be doing. Being a parent can be really challenging. Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them on their parenting journey. Everyone deserves someone they can turn to for help with parenting. Visit childandfamilyresourcenetwork.org today. Yeah, that's probably a pretty salty, uh, I would think, yeah. Uh, you know, a, oh, yeah. a school, you know. Yeah, and we were kind of also, again, like we we're the first generation of people a lot of us had joined after college so even that dynamic even in not a toxic environment that was really hard for some units to deal with that people with a degree were enlisting um because you know that's not the usual path people take and i think some people like you know felt a little bit insecure that you know somebody with a college education was you know coming to do their job but like, we were also very humble like this was a group of people we all graduated college and like we 
we couldn't find jobs so like we were never like feeling like we're too good for it we were just also grateful to be there but it was it's a hard it's a hard dynamic to yeah. be like the first ones doing that so and what was the next step after that graduating from intel school and, and getting away from montauk um after that it was like getting your assignment so um yeah so we if you it was based on your score so if you got a good score in the class you got like first pick so um the first two people I got third, the first two people picked, I think like DC and like Colorado, like there's an NSA position in Colorado. And I was like, all right. Um, so I got my third pick was, um, there's a joint task force in Key West joint interagency task force South. Um, so I picked that it, it's, uh, it has all three letter agencies. Um, and it's counter drug. Good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I wish <laughs> it was, it was warm. Um, <laughs> Yeah, but it was just, it was, it, it seemed awesome. Like, I was like, well, there, there's no waves there, but, you know, this seems like a Damn. really good career move. Yeah. Um, so the next thing was, yeah, like going down south. Actually, I ran into somebody at a gym in Key West who had been at my gym in the Hamptons. And so she also, uh, I mean, she's not military or anything. She just went down there for vacation. So um, I just, yeah, followed that route down south. Cool. And was that a good assignment yeah. working, working down there? That was actually, I liked the job at Giant of South more than I liked the location. Um, the job was great. Working with the other military service was awesome. I feel like I had like such a good understanding of different culture. I mean, we didn't like, we just kind of gave up on like ranks and like, it just kind of flattened the hierarchy a little bit because nobody knew each other's, like cultures exactly or like ranking system exactly so um it a lot of people even higher up are like a little bit humbled by the experience so it was just like a nice community feel down at jive south just busting drugs and like working with them together um well what was that job it was, it was a it was an interdiction primarily uh job you were doing down there yeah so you're coordinating uh the interdictions for like south america like pacific and caribbean so and you've got all the agencies working for you so i thought this was how like everybody worked but i guess it's like um it was it was one of the like uh first joint task forces so it is actually what a lot of counter terrorist stuff was modeled after just the way it worked um so i think yeah actually i found that actually in the cia too that a lot of the counter drug stuff in the eighties was kind of this first interagency system mm -hmm. to, to work off of. And then when the terrorism thing started getting big, that's actually like the model they used for a lot of the counter terrorism. The, uh, the JTTFs. Um, exactly. Yeah. And they're like working with liaison. Um, so yeah, it was super cool experience. Um, yeah. Like just taking in everybody's information, putting it together and like being like, Oh, Hey, FBI, you're doing an op from Puerto Rico South. And like, wait, HSI, you're doing an op from Venezuela North. Like you guys are like busting each other right now. Like neither of you has like, so like actually like calling people out on that stuff. Cause we're the only ones that could see all the sides of it. Right. Um, so yeah, there are definitely some not close calls, but just like, oh wow, like we are kind of like USA. We need to get our shit together. Like, where we've got undercovers on both sides. So 
That's pretty funny. They were yeah. tracking each other. Yeah. 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 Uh, that would have been made for an interesting press release from, you know, where they're perp walking their own guys. <laughs> right. Like I, I'm like, sometimes like, you know, we didn't catch it for like, you know, until we were like, Oh wait, like we were, you know, comparing notes and it's like, Oh, this, like we, I think there are some like close calls on that kind of stuff, but um, yeah, luckily we caught it in time. <laughs> Uh, any other cool stories from down there in uh, Key West uh, from your time down there, whether professionally or personally? Uh, it sounded like it's kind of a one-horse town, right? Oh, man. It's like, I mean, outside of work, you're living Groundhog's Day. Like, every Friday night is the same band playing the same songs because it's always, like, cruise ships coming in. So they're always playing for the tourists. So, like, I think that's why I liked going to work because it was, like, the one place where, like, people were normal like everyone who lived down there like basically worked at giant of south or at the navy base so um yeah but i don't know good stories i think it was actually like surprisingly a really depressing place um that's actually where like the first like a lot of the i think marines took it hard being there this is like the first place where people came out of you know they were doing like iraq afghanistan and then they'd get like key west and they would come there and like they're in front of a computer all day and they're not in the fight. And so a lot of people had, this was their time to like slow down and just be like, what the hell am I doing? Like, what is my life? So it was surprising Like, you think he was, Oh, it's all fun and like drinking, but it was actually a place where like a lot, it, a lot of people had a really hard time being there um, and being in that groundhog's day. And, you know, even if you had the drug mission, like you did, you know, go home to your family or not your family at the end of the day. So you weren't on this like deployment track where you could kind of get away from, you know, stuff you're not dealing with at home. Um, so yeah, that was actually the first place I experienced, yeah, somebody who like took their own life and, you know, it's not the kind of place you think of that stuff happening, but, um, yeah, it was, it was kind of like a reality check spot for a lot of people. Yeah, that's rough. I'm, and was it around this time frame that you were going to uh, OCS? Yeah, so I, yeah, actually I went to the reserve. Once I like took the leap and got off active duty, I went to our reserve OCS. And um, yeah, that was like a great program. I applied a couple, I applied in Montauk actually, and I had this like senior chief who was like helping me with my application. And then like looking back, I was like, man, that guy had no idea what he was doing. Like no wonder <laughs> I didn't get him when I was active duty. <laughs> <laughs> why would i why would i do have somebody help me out that like um you know but uh yeah so i did i did our i finally got in uh yeah after i got back to duty and got in the reserve officer candidate program i figured you know if i'm gonna be in the reserves i want a little bit more control you know a little bit more control like as an officer so i did that and um yeah finally got got the, the officer job so and where did that take you? Um, that took me. So I moved to DC. I didn't have a job after active duty. That's like so tough. Like I know, like I had a master's degree, I had a security clearance and I did not like, I had to just make the leap without like having a set job. So I moved up to DC or I knew at least I could get some sort of position eventually. Um, and then I was doing the reserve job. I was in Virginia beach at Damneck. Like we have a little coast guard base there. Um, and then I went to like a port security unit, which was in like Yorktown, Fort Eustis. And that was my reserve officer assignment it was Fort Eustis. And, 
Um, we ended up going down to Guantanamo for a year. Um, and it was, yeah, it was like, it was interesting. It was like, I was doing land ops for training and like, I just had no idea what I was doing. And I was kind of glad I was an officer because that was okay to not know how to do land that officer. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> definitely so you, had some moments there. So around what year was it when you were down on like Guantanamo and what was, what was that? Cause that base used to be really barren. Had it been built up much or. Yeah. I mean, it, not really. It was still, everything was like temporary. Like they still had our coast guard stuff was like trailers as if we were going to leave in like a year or two, but it was like, what 2017 18 like yeah. we've been there for a long time so um yeah it was just a weird there's like the task force with the prisons is like separate and like we would have to do our patrols and do our watches from there um but that was just man it was just the kind of place you're like why are we still doing here like this is like why is the coast guard here first of all and then like Separately, why is anybody here like this is like kind of a waste of everyone's time like every time there's a trial we had to change our patrol because the trial they take the defendant to a different building so we had to do a maritime patrol in a different area um and it was just and then like you know nothing happens in those trials so you're like this like just like the amount of things that like were just did not make sense and were just kind of depressing like it was just a lot there yeah. um and I are, yeah, like some of our CIA training studies were about these guys. And it was just like, why, why are these people still around? Like, this is, this is such a waste. So, yeah. yeah. There were other people like coworkers and stuff who were wondering that too. If I recall right from your book, like the Coast Guard is here. What the hell? Yeah. Cause it's a naval base and like, it's not like the, like the drug stuff. So like, if you have a coast guard person on your Navy boat, then like your Navy boat can now like legally like interdict and like do more law enforcement right, right. stuff. But like, yeah, we were on a Navy base. We were following the, like whatever their rules of engagement. So there was no like legal loophole we were offering. It's like maybe some coast guard person just really wanted to feel involved and like <laughs> be down there. I don't know. Like, um, yeah, we could not figure it out whatsoever um yeah i probably should just like write a letter but it's also like the industrial complex that happens where you know the people making those decisions are the people on who are reserves who are on active duty orders for the last five years and so like of course they still want their so it makes you question like this whole giant system right um which of course you know any military industrial complex you start to just like pull a string and be like hmm, i wonder if this is why we're still here like yeah. there's not an incentive for us to leave we'll find it a way to get paid a lot of well in the beginning it was yeah probably it was, they probably got some sort of campaign badge for the global war on terror it was like the, it was it might have been one of the only yeah. ways to get it in the coast guard and so it was like oh i'm in He's like, yeah, he's like, I need this. Yeah. <laughs> so. so what, why, why, why did you, uh, I mean, and if I'm missing something, jump in here, but uh, was this about the time you started thinking about leaving the Coast Guard? What was going on for Caroline at this moment? Yeah, I think, I mean, when I was in the reserves and like working for the government, like, I just like, it just started taking away my time to work on my career and like what I actually wanted to do. Like 
I know the reserves in every service is like very demanding, but I mean, I was driving from DC to Virginia beach in the summers, which like I would have to take Friday off. I would have to take Monday off. And then like, sometimes they would want you to work like overnight shifts. And it was just really, I don't know, maybe I'm not badass enough, but like, I need my sleep. I need stuff to like, I need to get my stuff done at the house in order to like, and then you're, you're in a government job and I want to travel and I want to TDY and I want to like build that side of the, my career. And it was just like taking away, yeah, my energy and my time to dedicate. Like I was also serving the country just in a different capacity in my civilian career. So it was, I was just being spread so thin. Um, and we had, we had a lot of really skilled people in our Coast Guard Reserve unit, like some were FBI agents. Um just really smart people. And a lot of us had to drop out because just the timing demands and, um, you know, just not recognizing that we were also serving in a different way and not really respecting like our position, our civilian positions either um, was really hard. So it, it, we tried. <laughs> it kind of sounds, I mean, both with the, the weight that you had to go through just to get to the intelligence A school uh, with this type of thing, it sounds like the Coast Guard is very undermanned and overtasked. Absolutely. Yeah. And the people who stick with it are like, some of them are really awesome people and they're working really hard and they are like expert generalists that, you know, do whatever is called upon them. Um, but yeah, overall, like, yeah, it's just, you feel like you're in this like cluster and like, I like to sort stuff out and I like to get things organized. And I was never, unless I made Admiral in like a year, like I was never going to be able to like help anybody sort their shit out. So I just felt very helpless. And it's like, at some point you got to just do what's right for you. So that's yeah. where I was at. Like as much as I wanted to like, you know, I studied Homeland Security for a master's degree. Like I had this kind of like bird's eye view of a lot of stuff, but like, unless you're, a high rank or you're close to that rank or close to headquarters. Like you don't really have a lot of impact. So yeah. when you left the coast guard, you had like a, a, a perfect plan in mind, right? You had a whole transition plan of like, I'm going to do this and then I'm going to do that. How, how did that happen? Oh my God. Yeah. Well, like I had applied to like government jobs and you know, I'm going to, you know, get this government job. I'll have the reserve stuff on the side. And then it's like, Oh, then you get pulled to a year in Guantanamo. And then, um, and then that stuff made me think and I was like, well, what am I even doing? Like, I actually, I really want a PhD. So it actually, you know, it gives, it pulled me away, but it gave me time to think about what I was doing, kind of plan ahead. And um, yeah, just rethink, you know, my life in DC and like, um, yeah, what I really want to be doing with it. So yeah, sometimes the hard times are good for you, but uh, it was still hard. So. So Caroline, this is the part of the podcast that you've really been looking forward to where we solicit your opinion oh, yes. about male grooming. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, first off, I, I think we have a very interesting perspective here. We have somebody who worked both around the Coast Guard and the Navy and just in general of, of the men in the Coast Guard and maybe women too, but of the people in the Coast Guard and the Navy who generally were the, were the better groomed. Mm. I mean, we've got some pretty well-groomed coasties. I mean, yeah. yeah, I think so. Like, because, yeah, we don't have these, like, beard exceptions and everything. Like, we're not in that ranking. Like, we got to keep our shit clean. So. And, and you would say the clean is important. Not having the beard exception is important. I mean, 
I would say I'm just glad that men are having to think about this too. And I saw this ad, I was like, oh, thank God, like women aren't the only ones anymore. <laughs> it's not. It's not easy living in this Baywatch world, Caroline. That's right. That's which brings right. us to our next sponsor of tonight's podcast, which is Manscaped. You can go and check out manscaped.com. They have a full line of male grooming accessories. Uh, you can go and check out there, and you can use the promotion code TEAM20 on checkout to get 20% off and free shipping. Now, like Caroline says, not only women have to think about these things. It's true. These this days. is an issue it's that affects all of us. It's not the 70s anymore, right? Men can't just walk around with, the big, with all this undergrowth going on. Right. Um, right. And Manscaped has these fantastic grooming products because any man, before Manscaped came along, any man who wanted to groom the down under was taking a risk. It was a big risk. A big risk. Um, yeah. You yeah. know, there were no clippers that were really made for us. And anybody who's ever tried has probably nicked themselves. There's some collateral damage. Yeah. Always. Always. Uh, Manscaped, you know, they offer the Lawnmower 4.0, which is a great little trimmer. It has like a cer ceramic blades and, and a blade guard. So you can get that close shave without the fear of nicking. It has an, a little LED light so you can see what's going on down there while you're trimming. Because, uh, you know, without night vision or, or, or illumination, <laughs> you know, nighttime operations just aren't safe. That's right. And so there's a full line of products that they offer. There's also like uh, they have ear, the ball ear tonic. and nose trimmer. Yeah, near ear nose trimmer. They have the ball tonic, the shampoo. ball deodorant. Like, shampoo. There's a shampoo. Yeah, the body wash and the shampoo oh, I use. Oh, that's right. Yeah. New products. Very nice. Yeah, uh, guys. Fellas. Yeah. Be, be like a Coastie. Be like a Coastie. Trim that stuff up. All right. So, Caroline, you leave the Coast Guard. What's the next step for you? Yeah, next step is government work. So, well, mm -hmm. first it's being unemployed and like teaching art classes and tutoring in math and realizing I don't have seventh grade math skills. Um, so, uh, so it's doing that for a while, like getting through that transition. I mean, you lose all your buddies and you're, I mean, I was living with my sister. Like, luckily I didn't have to pay rent, but um, yeah, kind of waiting for that government service to start up. So um yeah i eventually did that and like after you know getting started in the government then like i you know ended up getting into the cia and so that's where like the next adventure really started for me um was finally getting into that well how, how did that uh initially come up on your radar like huh i'm gonna go join the agency you know it's kind of weird i applied to fbi when i was in key west and i didn't get it um actually that stories in my book um, but long story short, they're a little bit too strict on some of their policies and I lived a pretty good life in my early twenties. So I was asked to reapply in a certain amount of time. Um, but so I didn't get into FBI. Uh, I thought about DEA too, but like in their first page on their application, they asked me straight up like question three, like what drugs have you done in your life? And I was like, nope, I'm not doing this one either. Um, so my cousin actually recommended the CIA. She is not an intel or military or anything. She just told me about like uh, this online uh, like session where you can just check it out and ask questions. And I just, I started on it and the culture was like, as I went through the process, the culture was really a great fit for me. I know from the outside people think like CIA is like, you know, very strict, very like uh, one type of person, like wearing suit and tie and everything. Um, but the CIA for me, was like a very creative analytic outlet where I could really be heard and I could brainstorm and I could, you know, like 
work with some of the smartest people I'll ever work with and like have fun and like do an awesome job. So, um, yeah, just slowly through the, it's also like, they know what they're doing. Like their buildings are beautiful. Like you go and interview and you're in awe and you're like, Oh man, like I could work here. <laughs> like, this is, you know, they, they, they know what they're doing and like, you know, impressing you as you go along in the process too. So you applied uh, for the agency and what, what was it like going through the like application process and, you know, grilling you on the polygraph was it pretty much smooth sailing. Um, it was a lot like looking back, I, I, I forget how much work it was to apply. I mean, they send you like a package with like psychological tests, like you have to write papers, you're writing about like your life and why it fits into Intel and like um, you know, it made me reflect, it was actually a great exercise. It made me reflect on and realize, you know, realize you do, you really do want it or you don't want it. And this, I really did. Like I felt connected. Um, so my dad's actually, my dad's a mathematician and like, I'm not a math person, but I feel like I have some of that like analytic side to me. So kind of like reflecting on like, okay, why, why am I a good fit? Besides just like, oh, being Coast Guard Intel and like psychology, like what inside me makes me like a good fit for this? And like, how is this part of like, you know, my story to start at the CIA and like, um, so it, yeah, it made me reflect a lot. The polygraph, uh, I don't know. It's, it's fine. I don't, it, it didn't make me believe in a polygraph any more than I had. Like, I think they tried to drill me on like whether I had connections to like foreign officers. And I was like, I mean, at Jida South, I worked with like a French Intel officer who like, tried to look at my notes, but like, is that really what you're trying to get me on? Like, this right. makes no sense. Um, so I think, yeah, I think, I don't know, I've got some opinions on it, but uh, I was nervous about it. I was just nervous, like with the FBI interview, like I was nervous there'd be some policy and they're like, oh, Caroline, but um, no, you talk to a psychologist beforehand and they really look at the whole person. So like, for me, I'd like, I lived my life in college and like I had done a little bit of like drugs or whatever. And like, they looked at me as like a whole person, what I'd done since then. They didn't, they didn't give a shit. They're like, you don't look like you like drugs anymore. I was like, I don't like, thank you. Like that was not like, um, you're not, so, you're not like picking, constantly picking and <laughs> biting off your nails. I'm old school, like 1950s. Like if I found out she was smoking funny cigarettes in high school, done. <laughs> done. Oh my God. Out. Or like, yeah. She could be a communist. Like, <laughs> she could be a communist. Right. Um, so it was just refreshing that they just, they take you for who you are and they, they don't want you to be somebody who can't lie a little bit because you're going to be crossing borders right, lying right. to every authority. Like if you can't like take a deep breath and like tell a little white lie, like you're not going to do a good job there. So, um, so I appreciate it. I actually ran into a high school classmate in the gym there no at the CIA and we were like both looking at each other and, so he had done like all honors classes. He'd gone to like an Ivy league school and like we were chatting. We finally realized who each other were. And, um, and we were the same rank in the CIA and like, we just took different paths to get there. So like it's, yeah, they're open. Like, and they, they want people who just want to work hard and like think differently. So I appreciated it. And so what was the position that you got hired for? So I was, I was doing targeting. So um, I was doing like a, a targeting job. I actually was in a, I was a targeting analyst in a 
DO targeting officer position, like billet. So, um, yeah, I know you, you had like a guest on talking about targeting and like CA targeting, like there's like four directorates and they all have targeters and like. Being a parent can be really challenging. It's normal to feel uncertain about whether you're doing the right things to raise healthy and happy children. That's why Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them build confidence in their parenting journey. Everyone deserves to have someone they can turn to for support with parenting. Visit childandfamilyresourcenetwork.org today. They kind of get in this cultural thing of like what what defines their targeters, but like we're all doing the same job, just like a little bit different focus. Um, so I started off doing that. I worked, you kind of get a, you get to go around the building a little bit when you start off. So I started out, um, I did a little bit in like our, one of our Asian departments doing targeting. Um, I, I did a little bit in the, the counterterrorism Europe doing targeting. And then I landed like in the counter drug targeting at the agency. Um, and just, just doing that kind of work on like a whole nother scale than at what was that Dried of South. Mm -hmm. um, what, what was the uh, training like for that to go into that, uh, to become a targeting analyst? So uh, we've had some conversations with people. Um, I think it was Christina uh, was talking about how, and her, her husband was an ops officer and she was an analyst and talking about how the ops officers, they get in there and it's sort of like, for us going through the military, like, you're not shit. You guys don't rank. You're nothing. But the analysts are like, yeah, you guys are the heat. You're super smart. That's why you're here. Yeah. We got your back, Blue. What, what, did that? Did, yeah. you, did you find it like that? I totally did. So I, I had a chance to, like, kind of be in both cultures. So I got a lot of that DO culture where it was just, like, it was so, like, military hierarchy. Like, <laughs> oh, so I, one of the trainings, like, they – don't have to give you anything positive in their feedback. So all your feedback for six months is just what you're doing wrong. <laughs> and like now, like it's great because now like, oh, I published a book and my editor's like, oh, I don't want to be too harsh. And I'm like, dude, give it to me. Like, tell me what's wrong. Yeah. Like I have like thick skin. So it does like build you, you have to build yourself up when you get that kind of training. But then, yeah, when you do the analyst training and it's like, you're like 10 minutes late to class and they're like, oh, it's okay. Like, <laughs> I know there was traffic this morning. Like, no worries. Like, you want to get some coffee? Um, <laughs> it's wait. just, a, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like the culture, I, I was, I was glad to be an analyst and just kind of have a little bit of the DO side because I could go back and like, get some warm fuzzy for my analyst, you know, managers whenever yeah. I needed it. Um, but yeah, I would say like, if anyone out there is thinking of joining, like definitely pick the job in the directorate based on like what you want to be promoted on. So like one problem with being in the DO and the DO targeting side as an analyst was like, okay, DO targeters, you get promoted based on the cables you're writing, the impact on operations and all this stuff. So I was doing all that work, but then I was getting graded and rated on like my writing for the wire and like my writing to policymakers. And so I ended up doing like both jobs and just being like, oh, I need to write a wire this month or like I'm going to get behind and never get promoted. So like, um, I think that like if you're interested in targeting, so like, yeah, like pick something. If you're a writer, like that's one thing. If you want to be in the offside, like 
do the geo side, but just, yeah, like pick what you like, you get to do cool stuff wherever you are, but like pick what, what you want to be promoted on. I would say that's how you should pick your job. You know, it's interesting because the, the difference in sort of the, the environment might be due to the type of people that are, that, that are drawn into those jobs. Right. So in ops, probably having confidence or the, the hiring people that have confidence is not really an issue. Maybe, maybe there's an abundance of confidence going around mm -hmm. and they feel the need to chip that down sometimes where with targeters and analysts who might be and academics, I don't want to be gro grossly generalized here, but who might tend to be more introverted people or, you know, just, you know, people analytical, you know, or whatever, it might be, Hey, let's, let's build them up. So they have more confidence in the products that they're producing and, you know, aren't afraid to say what they feel like they need to say when they need to say it. Absolutely. I think that was my problem is like, I was, I'm definitely more of the analytist, analytic mindset. And so I'm already ripping myself apart. Like, yeah. I don't need somebody else to like, like, give me like bad feedback. Like I do that to myself every night. So right, like, right. like that was definitely really hard. Um, but yeah, I think, but definitely, yeah, like there's definitely some case officers that need to be like kind of taken down a notch for sure. And I think that's probably what the training was for, um, for those types of people. But um, you so, can really tell, I mean, like, oh, no, sorry. Just please, like, no, like, no, please go when, ahead. Yeah. Like the, like the DO side, like when I was on a DO team, like they're like, oh, Caroline, you're so quiet. You're like a sphinx. Like you don't talk. And then like when I was an analyst, I went and worked on like an advanced analytics team with like a bunch of PhDs and they're like, oh, you're the extrovert. Like we need you to host your next, <laughs> this conference. And I was just like. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, the contrast. You, for the people who aren't quite familiar with it, can, can you tell us sort of the difference between an analyst and a targeter? Because they seem like there's a lot of crossover. Yeah, and when, when a lot of people hear targeter, they think, you know, drone striking dudes. Uh, there's And there's different types of targeting, right? Yeah, for sure. So, like, targeter is just, like, a broad name. So there's operation, DO targeters. There's um, DA targeters. So... Uh, targeting, you're doing everything, a lot of it, like, you'll go on a team and you'll be like, okay, what's the big strategy here? And they'll be like, well, we haven't written a strategy. And you're like, oh, shit, well, we need a strategy. So you're talking about, like, you're taking a lot of times if you go on a team, you're writing the big picture first, and then you're narrowing down to, like, okay, big picture of what the hell is going on in this region. And then you're slowly getting down to, like, who are we going to, like, arrest, drone strike, whatever. Um, but if you're, if you're, if your team is doing it right, you have, whether it's a cable or like a written piece, like you have that big overarching strategy that's slowly directing you down to these individuals mm -hmm. that you're targeting. Um, whether it's like, yeah, recruitment or, you know, arrest or, or, I mean, I guess we, not, we don't arrest people, but, um, somebody, somebody else doing the job, right. um, so you can be anywhere in the middle of that. You can be like the middle part's the hardest where you're trying to figure out, okay, if you want to get to this one person, what are these options for getting to that person? So you're brainstorming like any sort of outrageous to reasonable option to help you get somebody to that person. Mm -hmm. um, so it's really, that's where the creativity comes in where you're, I mean, you're learning everything about this topic, region, person, company, whatever, to try to get in there. Yeah. And I think, you know, you mentioned it, you know, you're brainstorming these outrageous things. And who was we had on recently we were talking about? Oh, there there were these plans. Oh, it was uh, 
I think it was Toby, when when there were like all these plans coming out to to do these crazy things, and it's like, yeah, but nobody really knows if those were actually plans or if that's just everybody throwing their ideas up on a whiteboard, no matter how ridiculous they might seem, just to get them up there. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we had like a rule in brainstorming where you can't, you don't say anything bad about anyone's idea. Like first step is everything goes on the board because that's how you get the more likely ideas by something outrageous that built like something reasonable that builds on something totally outrageous. Right. So um, yeah, who knows if that, if some document was just all everything that got thrown on the board at right. one point. So right. yeah. yeah, CIA plan, you know, plans to assassinate Santa Claus. Well, that might've been on the board, <laughs> but nobody ever seriously considered yeah. that. Or know? did they? Yeah. Or did they? Yeah. yeah. I mean, you definitely do. It's, it's an interesting place. Like as much as we, like we have lawyers and, you know, after like, you know, all stuff in the news over the last 20 years, like, you know, we're reined in, but at some point, like there is a little bit of a culture where there's a waiver for everything. So like, if you have a good idea and it might work, like there's probably some way to, to figure out how to get it done, Yeah, which is cool. Yeah. So what can you tell us about the, about doing the job? Are there any uh, stories or anecdotes that you're allowed to share with us from being a targeting analyst? Being a targeting analyst? Um, I mean, I think, I could tell like a story. I, we were kind of talking like um, just there's a lot of like interagency rivalries within the U.S., which you don't realize within our own organization. So I guess it's interesting because that is a targeter. You're learning about other countries. You're learning about like, OK, like this country's Air Force and Navy do not get along. So you're considering that as you like kind of plan, you know, what you're doing and how you're approaching that region. But looking at ourselves at the USA, like we actually also have those kinds of things where like some of our agencies don't get along. So like, um, I think one of the stories I tell in my book, just like different cultures, like I tell one story about we're going to DEA headquarters and like my manager like gets past this DEA like big bag of like weed that they have like all these labels on because it's like a DEA lab that they you know, so we're just learning about the latest that they have. Um, and my manager gets in, he starts like whispering quotes from like half baked to me. And we just get like the dirtiest look from these DEA analysts where it's just like not okay. So um, yeah, just the different cultures there. I think uh, we also had some things with like the defense attaches, like not really liking us um, in, in other regions. Um, this is not in the book, but like we had one place where we, we were pretty closely with um, one place and the defense attache, he just really wanted all the attention. So these are like the Navy people who are, you know, working in the embassy and we kept getting all the attention. We don't want the attention. Like we don't want the recognition. So like at one point the, um, the DOD like gave this country, like what, like a helicopter or something. So there's this like ribbon cutting ceremony that's in the papers. You know, this is not something that like we, we go, you know, to like support and like watch. And like the next thing, you know, like, you know, the, the ribbons cutting, the whatever, the defense attache is waiting there for his handshake from, like, the president. And, like, the next thing, you know, the president's coming up and, like, hugging us and, like, high-fiving us and like, shaking <laughs> our hands. And we're like, oh, dude, this attache is never talking to us ever again. <laughs> like, just, like, shit like that. You guys swooping like, in and oh, taking the God. credit. 
<laughs> like we were like we were like off to the side like we did not like we were like should we even go <laughs> uh, it's just funny but you um, you said you felt like you were kind of thriving in this position too like you really enjoyed what you were doing I did. Yeah. Like I really liked it. Um, I took a break, The working on the drug stuff was really kind of getting to me. Um, just because it seemed like it was just kind of turned into its own, like never ending cycle. Um, and it's, it's you know, interesting and it's, that the CIA has a counter drug mission too, which of course explains, I don't think a lot of people understand that. Or maybe before we move on, could you talk about how the agency has that part and how it connects with DEA and other organizations? Yeah, I mean, it's had it for a while. Like, this goes yeah. back to, like, the 80s drug wars. I mean, if, if you watch Narcos, there's a CIA person in, in that show that pops in at a little bit of time. Um, so, yeah, historically, man, I don't know. You'd have to Wikipedia it historically because I'm going to mix up what's out there and what's not. Um but yeah, we, we've done it a long time. We we also, we work in small teams and I mean, across the agency, we work in small teams and we just get a lot done with like a team of three or four people. So like, honestly, a lot of times we are more agile than DEA. Like we can, like, we can get in there. We can, like, also we have like people that have done a lot of like strategy stuff who think like really really big picture and like really five ten steps down the road um so we and you know CIA does have a huge like you know influence piece too so like we're not we're not like always knocking down doors and everything like we have like a bit of you know long-term view on things so yeah we've been I don't know like just google we've been at it for a while <laughs> we do a good job so yeah. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, be before I interrupted you, you were saying that it, you felt like it became an uh, uh, unending cycle. Yeah, it just, I mean, well, like, so for me, like fentanyl started happening and like, just like, just my personal view on stuff is like, when you're asking people to stop like a grain of salt, like something like the size of like a shake of salt from like coming into the US borders. For me, it's like, okay, like this is not an intel or law enforcement problem this is a public health problem like uh -huh. this is like this is my opinion but like this is a waste of our resources of our analysts of our um time money to to try to stop something that like i mean you could ask like we if you ask us or us if you ask the cia to do something like we'll figure out a way to do it but like is that really the best use of our resources right. when like this is like an opioid crisis. This is like, I have friends, I grew up playing soccer who like did heroin because they got prescribed opioids at like 15 years old. And like now there's a fentanyl stuff going on. So like just seeing this bigger picture of like what's happening and like, like it just, I was just tired. I, I just didn't, I didn't, I wasn't buying into a lot of stuff that started happening with the, once fentanyl started like getting on, yeah. on the scene. Um, you're also like fentanyl's from China and like China's the most closed off country ever. Like it, it just started to it's like we solve impossible problems, but it started to be an impossible problem that like I personally was just like I I'm not interested in this. So I moved to advanced analytics where I was doing my targeting work across all agency problems. So we took like 
our, our PhDs and our um, data scientists. And we, we started solving the problems that tar targeters across the agency were having. So like, you know, there's all this data and like, how do you manage this data? And how do you get this data to targeting analysts who are not data scientists, but who are incredibly smart people? Like you can't have everybody, not everybody's gonna be able to work with like a million cell set of data. So how do you how do you work with that and how do you get that to people? So that, that started to be my impossible problem that I could actually kind of like, mm -hmm. you know, feel good about. That sounds pretty awesome, like a CIA think tank almost. Oh, totally, yeah. I mean, we had like, I think in military too, like you get some admiral who reads an article about cyber and AI and then sends it out to the fleet. And like the greatest thing about working in that office was like these people with their, you know, mathematics and applied, you know, mathematics PhDs would get that email, reply all and explain to this high ranking person why that's a stupid article. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like that was like the best. And that was like, that's why I like compared to the military, like, I just love the CIA because you could do that to people. And like, if you're right, like they have to respect you right. because like they need you. Right. Right. You're, you're like smoking a pipe. Yeah, like, right. This is, this is why you're a dumbass. Right. Play, play, yeah. Playing chess, you know, like <laughs> behind you. Yeah. But, but I, I mean, that is a very interesting challenge that you sort of picked up was really these days it's not a lack of data that keeps us from targeting a proper analysis it's too much data and finding out how to call that data correlate it you know do do everything you know how to process it yeah it's i mean yeah it's it went from how do we get this data you know into our you know system how do we get a sample of it to like wow like what do we do this and who else needs it because if that's the one thing too that was like great about being in that office was you could see that data and it could come from one targeter in one region and you could be like wow like this has like another region shit like this could really help out somebody else so how do we make this not only for that one office but how do we let other people have access right. to this as well so right. um yeah it's yeah it's just turned into a whole different problem yeah like you, you used to have you know case officers being like um, you know, struggling to get stuff. And now they're struggling to figure out how to get it to you because they just got access to so much stuff. Right. So, Yeah. No, I think, really cool. I think with intelligence and analysis, one of the really interesting things was that, for instance, post 9-11 showed us one of our weaknesses where because nobody quite knew how to spell the, you know, Arabic names or wasn't a standard way oh, to God. spell like Muhammad, you know, um, or Osama or anything else like that, that there could be 15 different reports written on the same person, but all with a different spelling. And it's like, how, as, as an analytic, you know, as, as an analyst or, you know, how, how do we like standardize this and how do we create, you know, these, what, uh, uh, what are the, the um, Boolean, you know, searches that would enable us to pull all this stuff up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. And I, I think too, like with that, like, you know, you get a data set and you have certain names or like identifiers and you're like, oh, well, of course, like I have these identifiers. Let me run this through them through this giant data set and see what pops up. But the, there's so much more you can do with it where like, OK, well, say you did that, but say you want to find out who else is interesting in that data set. Well, then what do you do? And that's where kind of like some of these other analytic techniques come in where it's like you're not running based on what the targeter has. You're telling the targeter, hey, you should also probably check out some of 
these people because based on these connections so um yeah there's like it's it's pretty cool if you're a big nerd like there's there's a lot of cool stuff in there to do yeah yeah i can only imagine uh, like all of this is totally outside of my wheelhouse but it's really cool to hear you talk about it caroline because yeah. this is kind of a, like a perspective that we don't usually hear about yeah and i know i said boogalian not boolean but that's all right <laughs> google's on my brain um yeah. So how long did you spend in advanced analytics and kind of where did that take you from there? Yeah, so advanced analytics, actually, it gave me a chance uh, when I was in the DO position, I was doing a lot of traveling, a lot of TDYs, like I just was, you know, very unsettled. So working in advanced analytics also gave me just like a little bit more of a normal office life. And I could, I still did some traveling, I, I did some teaching. Um but it also kind of just gave me time. I realized I wanted to do a PhD. So it gave me time to like work on myself um, and just kind of realize, and it actually like, I love the agency and I think it's like one of the best jobs I've ever had and probably will ever have. But like DC was not a good for my soul living yeah, in that yeah. place. So it's funny that like, as much as I was TDYing and all this stuff, and I was like, oh, I just want to like live in one spot. I want to know my town. And then once I did, and I was at Advanced Analytics for a while, I was like, oh man, like I don't like this town. Like I need to go and do something else. So um, it was more just like a personal journey for me, just like giving me time to kind of figure out. I'm in San Diego now, and this is like a lot better spot for me. Um, well, was that why you? Kind of, yeah. Was that why you left the agency? Just kind of that life grinded on you after a while. I think so. Like the life grinds on you. For me too, coming from the Coast Guard, I moved every two years, and like I just, I felt like I had a lot of stuff that I needed to process as well. From like you know, like even from the very beginning, just like all the sexual harassment and like escaping that, and just some of my like coping mechanisms were not healthy. And then, you know, working at the agency, like I, I felt I went in there and I, I did my best and like, I loved it. But at the same time, I had a lot of like personal stuff I had not worked through and like, I was not going to have good relationships and until I could get somewhere where I, I now I'm doing a PhD and I have time and I have like, I have a VA therapist and everything. So like, I'm working through my own shit. Um, but just, yeah, not having the chance to do that and living in DC, it's, it's a tough life. It's expensive. Uh, you're kind of far from nature. Um, traffic's pretty pretty bad there. You also like you don't have your phone on you. Like at the CIA, like your phone. I, like I would turn my phone off for my commute, and it would be off until I came home. So like I'd be home at seven p.m. and have to like, you know, answer my emails, answer my texts. Um, so just yeah, like kind of just wanted to like live a little bit more of a normal life. Mm. Yeah, no, I understand. I. Uh where uh i mean i'm trying to think of where to take this um from here because i, I want to kind of talk about like how that happened like as far as your transition from governmental service into civilian life uh, was that like a rough transition were you able to metamorphosize into a somewhat normal human being after i don't think i don't think i'll ever be normal with that <laughs> <laughs> i don't know like Right now I'm in a PhD program and there's like a Chinese international student and like, I don't know, I think she's a little bit afraid of me. Like I'm a little bit like nervous about her. So like, it's always going to be there. Um, the one organization that actually a couple, like, I think I'm really lucky. Like 
even though like I'm like CIA, you know, has been a big part of my life, like being a veteran and having connection to team red, white, and blue. I don't know if you guys have participated yeah. in any of their stuff. Uh, that was a huge outlet for me in DC. They had like veterans workouts and a lot of people worked in government and like just being around veterans and people who just kind of got it that like, you know, you're moving around all the time. Like you need some connection. Um, and also uh, what really helped me was the armed service arts partnership in DC. So that's another veterans nonprofit that focuses on like comedy and drawing and storytelling. So um, that was, I did a comedy class and like, I just started to actually process my shit instead of avoiding it. So like, and made it funny. And that's actually the, the book I wrote started out as like my five minute comedy set and just actually wanting to tell some of the stories behind the jokes. Um, that are that are in there so uh that's that's a suit we actually we just started our branch in san diego so i'm doing my phd and i'm working for them trying to start up their uh san diego branch um and that's doing, doing comedy that's vetart.org is that who veteran uh this this one's asap so it's oh, asap asap.org ASAP. yeah our founder the founder realized that asap.org was taken so it's asap asap.org <laughs> What what was that like? So, so getting up on stage doing stand up comedy, what was that like as somebody who uh presumably you're a fairly introverted analytical person? Yeah. I mean it was it pushed me like it was like a mutual thing where like briefing helped me with comedy and doing like the anal and doing the comedy helped me with my analytic briefing. So um but it was it was heart pounding. Um it's actually a very analytic thing to do to have to write out comedy because you're trying to say a lot in very few words which is the exact same thing you're doing as an analyst you're given like two paragraphs to write out like all the shit about like you know a region a topic or a country and the updates so it was actually very similar to my analytic work getting on stage it was cool i think i blacked out and <laughs> it was great so <laughs> Uh, but I'm doing, I do it more now and it's like, okay, like you can start to like work the crowd in and be a little comfortable, more comfortable. And actually like, uh, yeah, my, my advanced analytics, when we hosted a conference, I had been doing the comedy for a little bit and they all knew about it. And that's why they made me host the conference because I was the only one, I was the least introverted. And so I was the least likely to like actually pass out if somebody put me on stage. So. <laughs> and so from that, that's what grew into your into your book that's coming out next week, Fairly Smooth Operator. Yeah, so yeah, I'll bring it up close for y'all to see. Um, but yeah, so this started out, yeah, as like a stand-up comedy set. It's a lot about the Coast Guard life and actually writing it made me realize how like some of the stuff that happened to me in the Coast Guard really impacted how I handled the CI as well. So um, I did have an issue at the CI, like an HR issue with one of the case officers overseas where he was just kind of saying some stuff that was like very inappropriate and um just yeah like being in a place where i could finally go to hr and be like hey like this happened and this made me really uncomfortable and like kind of looking back at my earlier stories like oh i coaster didn't have an hr thing like i was gonna go talk to some guy who you know was in charge of my life and like right. could have made things very miserable for me so right. it, yeah it was interesting to like reflect on like both of those experiences and how oh at the agency in normal life you actually do have an outlet to like make a change and, right like, 
Right. You know, get something that. And you mentioned, so. you said though, that like when you got down to Key West uh, or down to Alabama, that the Coast Guard wasn't like that, that that was something sort of, you it seems like it was kind of maybe. insular to that, to, to a toxic command, a small command where people, to me, people were wielding power. Yeah, like it was definitely that, that command was like unusually toxic. Um, and then, yeah, Alabama was great. It was also a lot of reservists in Alabama. So it was also people who lived other lives too. Um, but actually, so yeah, so it's not all the Coast Guard, but it is a huge problem because when I reconnected with some of the women I went through boot camp with over Facebook, actually, somebody on our Facebook boot camp book. Uh, group wrote like oh happy like 10th anniversary who's still in and like every single woman was like I got harassed and I left I got harassed and I left and so like reconnecting with them like we all had very different experiences all over the Coast Guard but a lot of it was kind of similar um and I actually just wrote for my PhD on like organizational culture looking at like how the Coast Guard addresses their sexual harassment, how the military in general takes a very structural approach and policy approach, but doesn't necessarily get into the interpersonal and like what interventions will actually fix this. Because like writing down a rule, that's not going to change people's behaviors necessarily. Um, So yeah, I was in an incredibly, incredibly toxic environment, but uh, there's a lot of it around. I think, most i mean you see like the fort hood thing that's another reason i wrote this book is just seeing stuff in the headlines about women and like one of the interviews after um like uh, the woman vanessa was killed um i think she was army yeah was in an interview with some of the soldiers and just they some of the male soldiers had no idea that this stuff was a problem so like part of this book is also being like hey like I mean, I didn't get killed or like, you know, badly assaulted or anything, but like, just like an insight for some of the men, like, like stick up for people like women and like, listen to them and ask them questions and make sure they're okay. And like, tell your idiot buddies to cut it, like cut it out. Like, so like part of it is also just getting the message out there. Like there's all this little stuff that like, like, I don't think men in the service necessarily realize that we go through. It's it's true. I mean, there, and it's not to like excuse, use it per se. And I I hope people out there will think about what I say, but I think as a man, if you do not engage in that type of behavior, it's possible for you to be very naive about it. You think that Mm -hmm. everyone else is, everyone else is like you or they're they're having that sort of similar experience. And so like my experience in the military as a soldier was one thing. And then coming out and working as a journalist for the last 10 years, I've come to discover something very different, a very different type of experience. And I, I could go on a, huge rant for like an hour, but I'll, I'll leave that for another time since this is really supposed to be the Caroline show. Um, but yes, you're, you're right. The military does not handle it well at all. Yeah. And even little stuff, even stuff where it's nobody's fault. Like I tell a story about how like, Oh, we had to do the, the tear gas training. And so I had my gas mask and my hair and regulations and we went into the gas chamber and I just started you know, you're, you're supposed to break the seal on the mask a few minutes in and I broke the seal, but like I was all, it was already burning and I couldn't clear it because, because mm-hmm. my, actually it turned out my hair was caught in it. And so the, the coast guard hadn't gotten the new masks for women that like adapted to your buns in the back of your head. So I had a, a mask that was messed up because my bun was caught in it because I was wearing my bun by regulation. So like just little stuff too, where it, it's, yeah, like it's 
just a little bit different for women. We run into like a little bit of different problems where some things are like made for men or, um, yeah, not ready for us, I guess. So still. what, <laughs> so. and that was what kind of inspired you to write this book? Yeah, I think, yeah, part of it just telling like, I mean, my personal story, that's, you know, pretty, I don't know, I guess like maybe unique. Um, and then also just like, yeah, the, the women's story and getting it out there. Um, but like, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a different, it's a different situation. And I mean, I had, I think I'd say in there, like I had a boyfriend and we went and we volunteered at a Girl Scout camp one weekend. And so it was all women. He was in the Coast Guard too. And we were at this all women's uh, Girl Scout camp doing our volunteer work and we're getting lunch and we sit down and he's just surrounded by like women and girls. And he looks at me, he's like, Caroline, like I'm a little uncomfortable right now. And I was just like, dude, like this is my life every day. Like I am always at a unit surrounded by men and I always feel uncomfortable. Like, so just like, the fact that like Deal I had to it, say that for him to get it. Yeah. Like, I'm glad you can relate. So. Uh, I think we had a question here for you from a, a viewer. Uh, Alex asks, if someone made you the commandant of the Coast Guard, what would you do on day one? And what would you hope to have accomplished by the end of your tenure? I'm shipping out for the SIU boot in a few days. Ooh. Um, What's SIU boot? Uh, uh, it's the Merchant Marines, I believe. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. Okay. Oh, man, if I was comment for day. I mean, I think the first thing, I don't know, I'm a big, like, budget person. Like, what are we doing in Gitmo? What are we doing in these places? Are we using our resources wisely? Like, we're, uh, you know, we're an agent or, you know, organization, the Coast Guard, that's, like, spread so thin how do we how do we put our resources where they need to be based on like our own values in the agency and our own priorities as well as those of like the country right now and um, you know some of the threats that we're dealing with so I think like just realigning resources and also like some of these isolated units like man checking in on those like putting like a monthly check where some, you know, officer goes and just checks. And like, even if he or she is just the jerk that everyone dreads coming, sometimes you need that so that people get their shit together. Yeah. So those are that, like, our resources and like checking in on stuff would probably on like climate would be my first things to do. So where are you at today? You said you're working on a PhD program out in San Diego. Yes, yeah, so I'm at uh, University of San Diego. Um, I'm working on the PhD in leadership studies. Uh, so yeah, like I like so much to reflect on on good and badly. I feel like Coast Guard was always bad leadership. And then CIA, I was like, Oh, this is what good leadership looks like. So just like taking those experiences, taking some of the targeting techniques too, and like putting a little bit of like quantitative analysis on like a more liberal arts area has been like really interesting, like for the Armed Service Arts Partnership and some of these nonprofits, like if you can look at like how you're building community and like who are the people in this organization who are influencers and who are like connecting people to their services, um, I think is, is really interesting for some of like the nonprofit work and the leadership work. So um, yeah, I'm in San Diego working on that. Just yeah, like doing a mix of reflecting and figuring out what's next 
uh, like for a career for me. So I'm lucky. Yeah, I have the GI Bill, which is, has been amazing. Um, such a good resource. I'm working in the military environs office too at the university. Just, um, yeah, I definitely really connect with that experience. Um, the transition is tough. Like whether you get into university or you're trying to find a job, like uh, it's, it's definitely tough uh, to figure out how to set yourself up for success. So uh, you thinking about going into teaching? Uh, I am. Yeah. I'm teaching a class right now and just connecting with the new generation is it's so exciting. Like they're so, they're so cool, man. Like they don't even need some of the lessons we're teaching. They're like, we get it. Like, you know, like some of the, um, you know, the USD has a very like social justice. And we talk about like diversity inclusion and like, and these kids get it. Like they, they, they know, like, uh, you know, they watch the news, they, they have friends of like multiple identities and like a lot of different backgrounds. Like I would say like so many of these, these kids are, they're just such good kids. Um, I tell them my old Coasty stories and my CA stories. And, like, I'm like, like the old person telling C stories to the class. Um, but, <laughs> nice. Um, but yeah, it's, I love teaching. It's, it's, yeah, it, it's super good. I have a lot of confidence in like the upcoming generations. They put their phones away during class too. Like they're they're not like the TikTok zombies. Sometimes they get labeled as. Do you gotta like learn all the new like lingo that the kids use? Because I'm 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 only thirty eight, but I'm like a boomer basically, and like I have to ask our producer D like about what is spilling the tea. That's one. Yeah. Like, uh... You got some tea? What's the tea? Yeah, that's a, that's a thing. Like what's going on? Yeah, yeah. Oh my god! What about the drip? My... There's something with the drip, right? You look, you look dripped out right now. You always look at your like leather jacket Am I? and shit. Yeah, yeah. The drip means like you're looking fresh. Yeah, the drip. I got that drip going. Yeah, exactly. It's not what the drip used to mean in the navy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <hello. laughs> That's what I'm saying, Dave. We're old. We're like, super old. Like you got, you look like you got the drip, and be like, ah, no, I got. I got the shot. No, I got tested. Yeah, I got tested. (laughs) Yeah, that's what I'm saying. We're super. You're the PI. What do you know? No, I'm just kidding. That's yeah. I mean, the lingo and for me, like the technology. So being in government and Intel for, I mean, I did Intel. I don't know, like eight years or so, like overall. And like, you know, like I mentioned, my phone's in my car. I never had an Apple Watch. I I just got these like fucking things. What are these earbuds? you know, a couple months ago, because I had no use for them for a lot of years, because I didn't have any technology on me. So for me, not the lingo, but like trying to keep up with like, oh, like, I should probably get a MacBook instead of my like heavy, super heavy laptop. Because like, oh, I can actually use it more than just, you know, Saturday, Sundays, and I'm not TDY. Um, It's it's also interesting. It's also interesting, I think, sometimes seeing like, how quickly technology moves in the outside world because when you're like in special operations or intelligence like a lot of the dsnt people or the tech people or or whomever they're buying off the shelf stuff because the government can't keep up with just how fast cia still using lotus notes <laughs> right right <laughs> yeah. you know yeah that's that's a challenge too a lot of like my friends who work more of like a cyber targeting thing like a lot of the challenge is keeping them up with what's going on outside so the agency does a great job of making sure people are like getting their education like taking classes going to conferences so but it is like a it's a 
conscious thing you have to do or you will fall behind yeah um for sure as a you know as an intel agency as like a government you know that special ops like that's you don't want you know now you don't want china and everything to get so far ahead of you right. just because you don't have access to right. stuff so yeah now out of curiosity you know you grew up in in a somewhat liberal family and, and you had these ideas of what the military was like then now as a teacher teaching a class in san diego and you know uh gen z and what is their impression of the military do they have do they have like uh presuppositions or, or do they or even know like, that about you? like i i wonder like is it even on their radar at all yeah it's we have two students who are rotc in the class so we have i feel like i feel good about being in front because i can open them up and but other kids didn't realize like these these students who are rotc they're up at 5 a.m a lot of days of the week so mm -hmm. like bringing up their story and that how hard they're working and like what their goals are, I think is really valuable. But yeah, for Veterans Day, I put on some of our uh, ASAP comedy videos for them. We have like some five minute stand up videos of veterans, you know, making jokes and telling their stories. And um, a lot of them, I asked them, you know, if anyone had a connection. And I think one student had um, his buddies at a Naval, the Navy Academy, but no, nobody else really had too much connection, which is kind of per usual. Um, so yeah, I feel I feel good about it and like giving them insight and showing that like uh you know you know I'm not some like gruff military person like you can have a role in all of this and you can you can be liberal and you can have social justice values and you know not be too far off on the deep end on oh, that boy. but Carol, like right. we're gonna get some hate for this right. we're I gonna know, get some I hate. know I'm like no trust me like woke CIA. Um, no oh my god i know i'm gonna start like excellent sorry hashtag uh but you can like it actually you can be it teaches you to be super moderate because you start to see both sides of things and you start to see how people manipulate both sides of it so right. you end up being pretty neutral so i think trying to bring that neutrality to the class and like teach them to think critically whether you know wherever their values lie like teaching them to like have conversations and you know just take a deep breath and like figure out like listening to people um i think is yeah is pretty valuable. Uh, well, that's fantastic i isaac has a question here he says i started a uni major that is data science information systems then a master's in cybersecurity. i hope to join any agency uh what can i do now to improve my chances i guess in applications uh learn a foreign language um the, if you uh, want to catch there dave thank you sir i think <laughs> that's like for me, I think I put it to me at like, for me, like, I mean, one of the hardest parts about being a woman in particular and working at the agency is like, you know, you go out with a guy in DC and, you know, you'd eventually talk about what you did and he would be like, oh, I applied there. I didn't get in. And I'd be like, oh, well, like, do you know a foreign language? Like, did you travel overseas? And like, no, no. It's like, oh, okay. Well, like, maybe you should have done that before you applied to an agency that does what all that stuff. Right, right. Um, I, yeah, I mean, obviously, like data science is so valuable in any organization right now. So you're going to be in demand. But if you if you want to do cool stuff, like a foreign language is is important, and it it it's one more thing on your resume that will make you stand out. Well, even if it's something like Spanish, it doesn't have to be Chinese or Russian, and even just something like Spanish, just to show you can do it. Mm -hmm. Canadian. <laughs> Canadian. I'm, I'm fluent in Jive, <laughs> yeah. believe it or not. <laughs> yeah. 
So, uh, Caroline, before we wrap up here, any stories or anything from the book or, or anything at all, really, that that I failed to ask, that we failed to cover today? Anything you really want to bring up? Um, I don't know. I mean, I think, yeah, there's some really, I wish I could tell all the stories. This book has some. Maybe I'll slowly figure out how to write another book with some other funny stories. Um, yeah, I mean, I think some of the best stuff, if you get into the CIA, is happens early on. Like some of those early training stories, and like if you're in some class and they like a lot of your your IC contractors are like seventy year old like people who like got you know were at the bombing in Beirut who just like man like they're the badasses of it and just. You know, like if you get in, like just valuing those stories and like listening to these people and asking them questions um, and just enjoying the process. Like, I think some people rush out and they're like, oh, I want to get to my post. I want to get to my office. I want to get to my job. But just like some of that long training and is there for a reason. And like, man, just enjoy. We had like, oh man, I don't know if I want to say their names. Also, I'll call them Paul and Pearl. They're like these two 70 year old, like old case officers their instructors in our class and like man they just hated each other and they were constantly like man like pearl would say something and like peter would like repeat her afterwards and she would be like I already said that and like peter would be like oh sorry i'm hard of hearing because like i got bombed in beirut like, <laughs> like these old people like who are still so cognitively sharp and like just giving each other shit. I don't know. Like and those they're, are some and they're, they're like, arguing about the Cuban missile crisis in class. Oh my God. Like some of the, like that stuff is like what makes my heart happy. Like thinking about <laughs> that stuff. Like, <laughs> and just, yeah, just knowing you're going to be those people someday. Not on that person for my like class, like telling these stupid stories. <laughs> What 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 did your parents think? A when you went into the Coast Guard, and then B when you went into the CIA, and then did their opinions change over time? I think they definitely changed over time. When I the Coast Guard was definitely the big leap for them because that's like their daughter signing a four year contract to somebody to you know put me wherever they want. And I, I'm pretty sure my mom was like, "You're going to end up in Iraq somehow," and I'm like, oh, "I don't think so." But, <laughs> right. Um, so that was the big leap. Um, I don't know, like, it was also once, you know, my aunts and I'm pretty close with a couple of my aunts and like my dad and like, um, just understanding some of the strategy behind it and how it could have, it, it did put me in a good place for my future financially and educationally and with skills. So once I could articulate a little bit more of like those reasons other than like, oh, I would like to live by the coast and surf and, you know, have somebody pay my rent. When I could tell them like some of the adult reasons, you know, for also signing up for the Coast Guard in my future, it made sense. Um, for the agency, I think uh, my parents, they were, you know, the agency is was different. Like back in the day, it was the FBI that were really the bad guys in the 60s and 70s. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think actually the agency was a softer thing for them to accept. Um, so, uh, I think if, you know, if, if I had worked, you know, for the FBI or something, I'm pretty sure, my, I think my dad's watching this, but like, I'm pretty sure he has, he has a file on him. Yeah. <laughs> <FBI. laughs> so, like, 
We need to do a FOIA request and see what they have on him. But, but um, it is a different culture, like you say. Like, like the idea of what the FBI would accept that you did when college and the CIA. Right. You know, right. They're, they're very different mentalities. Yeah, it's totally different. And the CIA is still a dangerous job. And, like, I think, I think it was better because they didn't know what I was doing that they didn't worry as much because, you know, at the Coast Guard, like, you know, you could talk about them and, like, they know where you are and they know you're in training. But, you know, at the agency, no one really knows what you're doing, even your family. So it was harder for them to worry about details right. um, in that side of things. Yeah. Caroline, where can people go and find your book? You can pre-order it now. It's coming out next week, right? Yeah, it delivers next week and pre-order it. So it's on the easiest place is Amazon. It's called if you just type fairly smooth operator, it's a satire on like some of the smooth operator books because it's you know What are you trying to say, Caroline? What what are, I feel attacked right now. I feel attacked. <laughs> It's because my story and me barfing off the side of the boat isn't exactly very smooth. So. Yeah, it's available. Um, I'm on Instagram, Caroline Noel underscore art, um, ASAP, ASAP.org. I'm teaching comedy classes for them in San Diego if you're a veteran. They also have virtual classes. So wherever you are in the United States, if you're a veteran and you want to try stand-up comedy, definitely check them out. It's a really fun class. And folks, I want to remind everyone out there to please like this video, share it, subscribe to the channel if you haven't already, hit the little bell icon and select all notifications so you get notified when we go live in the future. And down in the description, you'll find uh, some information about Caroline's book. You will find a link to our Patreon page if you want to support the channel. And uh, also we got merch. There's there's uh, coffee mugs and there's hoodies and all that good stuff if you're interested there's in that. There's all kinds of good stuff. And also check out our, we thank you to our sponsors and check them out, uh, atacfitness.com for all your swimmer needs. And, and for then, all uh, your ball trimmer needs, manscaped.com. Manscaped.com. So. And uh, next week we're going to have Ryan Fugit on the show. He is a former Apache attack helicopter pilot and CIA case officer, and he is the host of another YouTube channel called Combat Story. Very good one. If you go, if you like the Team House, I guarantee you that you'll find something on Combat Story that you'll enjoy. You find me on there for one thing, and me. But you're going to see Dave on there soon. very soon. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you can go check out Combat Story, and we'll have the host of that show, Ryan, on the show on the Team House next Friday. So thank you, everyone, for joining us. Uh, Caroline, thank, thank you, you for spending a few hours of your Friday evening with us, uh, part of your Thanksgiving recovery. Uh, <laughs> here chilling with two bros tonight. Really appreciate it. Uh, normal life. Thanks for having me. <laughs> <laughs> all right, everyone. We'll see you next Friday. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.